may stop the out-of-control abortion in this country simply by insisting that abortion clinics follow the law? Welcome to the Pastor's Voice. I am Rule Sample, and I am passionate about Christian worldview. I talk to pastors and Christian leaders to encourage all believers in Jesus to live out a life of discipleship and faith. Today I start a conversation with Kathy Humbarger from Reprotection.org. She talks about how her organization has successfully limited or even shut down abortion providers simply by insisting that they follow the same rules as everyone else. Kathy Humbarger from Reprotection.org. Welcome aboard to the podcast. I am so glad that you are with us. Thank you so much, Rule. It is always a pleasure to share the pro-life story and the pro-life fight, and I appreciate your inviting me to be your guest today. Tell us about your ministry with Reprotection. I was drawn into the pro-life fight when a dear friend of mine shared with me she had an abortion decision in her past. Now, this was 1985, prior to a lot of the Uh, wonderful ministries that are available now, the uh, crisis pregnancy centers. uh, There are many post-abortion ministries available today to come alongside women who've made an abortion decision, but that was not true then. So my dear friend allowed me to walk through her uh, healing at the foot of the cross, which rule you know, we all find healing at the foot of the cross for Whatever sins we've committed, the the ground is level there. So um, in that process, the Lord grabbed my heart for women who believe the lie that for a price, an abortionist could erase the life of a baby, only to find out later that it just made them the mother of a dead baby. So that really opened my eyes uh, back uh, in 1985. Um, abortion had already been legal, but I didn't know that I knew anyone that uh, had made an abortion decision. So it was eye-opening for me. And when I saw her grief and pain, I just knew that this is where the Lord was calling me. But the fight has changed significantly over time. Uh, A lot of what was happening then was uh, in front of the abortion facilities and and harsh uh, words exchanged and uh, the women going into the abortion facility considered murderers uh, and being um, shouted at as they went in with very little compassion for the women. But that's changed and I'm so grateful for that. So over the years, since that time, I was uh, blessed to be part of the founding board of the First Pregnancy Resource Center here in Fort Wayne. And then I was the first paid staff for what was then Allen County Right to Life. The thing that really grabbed me for what we can do as people going about our everyday lives was the whole idea of holding abortionists accountable and the abortion industry to the laws and the uh, rules that are already on the books. And boy, was that I opening when I began to uh, look into what's going on with enforcement of those laws. So my office at that time was right next door to the abortion provider in Fort Wayne. 
um, I would look out my window and I would see women uh, coming into the abortion facility. And two or three hours later, they would come out the door with an arm around the person that brought them and an abortion uh, uh, facility staff member. And they would literally stumble down the steps and uh, the, the people supporting her would pretty much drag her to the car where she would collapse in the back seat. And I watched this week after week after week. And I thought, I wonder why the abortionist doesn't have to provide a wheelchair ramp. My church does. As I investigated further, I found out that the sex club down the street had to have an elevator so that their uh, disabled clients could access the entertainment on both floors of their facility. So why do sex club operators have to accommodate disabled people um, and my church, but the uh, women exiting the abortion facility had to go through this. Uh, and, the and, and they had just had major right. invasive surgery. surgery. Well, That's right. Skip, skip the morality of that for a second, is that they yeah. just had major invasive surgery and they are forced to walk down steps into a car. Right. I began investigating, just curious to know how that came about. And I found out that there's a complaint system. So I filed a complaint. Crickets, of course. This was under uh, Kathleen Sebelius uh, as HHS director. In any event, no response, no response, no response. But I became their, uh, their uh, best correspondence person over those weeks. Just continued to follow up follow up. And I finally received a letter that said, because um, we don't have the staff to investigate, we're not going to look into this. Please don't. Oh, you're, you're kidding. No, please don't consider this a determination of guilt or innocence. We don't have time to look into it. So, okay. So then from there, I thought, I wonder what else is going on behind the closed doors of that abortion facility. And interestingly enough, um, we were able to uncover a multitude of violations. Now, the abortionist that operated next door to my office was Elmer Klopper. Some of your listeners may remember him as the abortionist that uh, after his death, they found uh, over 2,000 aborted babies' bodies stashed in his garage and also in the trunk of his car. That was a couple of years ago. But this was the abortionist that we were dealing with. So uh, he operated in two other cities in Indiana, South Bend and Gary, and he came to Fort Wayne on Thursdays. So we, uh, my friends in the other cities, um, banded together and, and started looking at this as a team. And we requested public information documents, which included the termination of pregnancy reports that are required by law for every abortionist um, uh, to complete for every abortionist that, that he does, he or she does. And we poured over those documents and filed over 2,000 complaints against this abortionist. And um, it, was, it was an amazing thing, Rule, to see the disregard for all of those, um, those complaints that we filed. So ultimately, we did get the attention of the attorney general um, his, there were two ways that we went after him. One was for his abortion business license, and the other was for his medical license. And 
over time, when we finally got the attention of those in charge, we were able to not only have his abortion facility licenses revoked for each of the three locations, but we were also able to get his medical license suspended. So that was the beginning of reprotection. Um, my goal at the beginning was to close down the abortionist next door to me. But as the Lord opened doors and we were able to uh, accumulate more and more information and not give up and persevere against the government agencies that wanted to overlook this, we were finally able to uh, not only close the abortion facility next to me, but the other two as well and get his license suspended. So what, um, what I'm going to interrupt you for a second. What I find interesting is that this is all happening in Indiana. Indiana is not a bastion of, of far left liberalism, but even in Indiana, uh, probably the poster child for Midwestern values is that you still had a heck of a time getting the attention of government regulation facilities and then people moving on those regulations to get things done. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. I was appalled. Uh, this, of course, unfolded over the course of the administrations of um, three different governors. And uh, the the Republican governors were, I mean, you have to educate them. They have a bubble around them. And if people don't, their inner circle does, uh, if they don't want them to know something, they don't get the information. So uh, you are exactly right. We're fi finding this happening in many states that one would think is uh, airtight for holding abortion uh, abortionists and, the, and their businesses accountable. And it, we're not asking for new stuff. We're just saying, please enforce what's already there. So what became abundantly apparent uh, during this whole process is we fight hard to get pro-life legislators elected, which we should. We fight hard to get pro-life legislation passed, which we should, but that is not the end of it. Uh, we can't assume that the agencies that are responsible for enforcing these laws are going to do their job. Th through our review of termination of pregnancy reports, we found that on, on one termination of pregnancy report, it was reported that a woman died. Now, you would mm. think that would get the attention of somebody. We found it, but it was almost two years after the incident. And when we contacted the Indiana State Department of Health to ask them about this, they said, thank you for bringing this to our attention. We'll look into it. So when we had success here in Indiana, uh, many of your listeners may be familiar with David B. Wright. He was the founder of 40 Days for Life. Mm -hmm. uh, the prayer program that goes on every year in front of abortion facilities. Anyway, I was working with him on a national project. And he said to me, I heard about what's going in it, on in Indiana. How'd you do that? And I said, I don't know. I just wanted to close the guy down next door. And it, uh, the Lord led us to um, um, achieve more than we ever thought. And he said, well, uh, he took, reminded me that he travels across the country and he said, how exactly did you do that? Because I think this might be the missing piece. Um, and he uh, 
uh, reviewed the same thing that I did a minute ago about electing pro-life uh, elected officials and passing laws. And then along with that is the many, many, many pregnancy resource centers. So with all of that, um, what is the missing piece? And in his mind, it was the lack of enforcement. And what I've come to understand about government agencies is when administrations change, usually the leadership at the top of an agency changes, but there's still the holdovers and the people who um, are very willing to look the other way uh, as far as abortion enforcement is concerned. So um, we started, I started thinking about that. How did we do that? And it came down to simply uh, gathering information, getting a tip from um, somebody that's on the on the sidewalk in front of the abortion facility, uh, becoming aware of a violation or a, a supposed violation, and then requesting public information documents. I mean, this is very legal, and oftentimes they um, reveal things in those documents that are actionable. Um, I could give you a whole list of examples, but the bottom line is if um, we follow this protocol, we get the public information, uh, find uh, more clearly define the violation that was reported to us and determine if it's actionable. And then the thing that's different about reprotection is that our enforcement efforts are through complaints. Now, this is different than a, a lawsuit in court. So it's much simpler. The bar is much lower for filing a complaint. For example, if we one of us went into a nursing home to visit grandma and we saw a staff member um, abusing another resident, we could file a complaint. We don't have to know who the staff member is. We don't have to know uh, the name of the person that was uh, the victim. We can file a complaint, which should prompt an investigation. So uh, that that it was an amazing tool to me, that it's, it's simple. There's already a procedure um, in place in every state for filing complaints against um, uh, all medical provider medical service providers. So we just uh, use that tool and file complaints, but that's not the end of a rule. This is what's so frustrating. You can't just file the complaint and say, okay, we're done. The agency will do what they're supposed to do. No, we have to follow up and follow up and follow up to make certain that this doesn't just drop off the radar. So, um, the, some of the investigations that we've done have um, uh, ended in fines being levied against the abortion provider. Um, we've even closed down now four abortion facilities. We kept a Planned Parenthood from opening in New York, which is amazing. Um, so, and, and the as we go forward, now the word is getting out, and we're getting more and more leads from more and more states. So. That's the uh, the process of, of how this all started. And I'm sorry, it probably took way too long to tell that story. No, that, I, I find that fascinating. I, I, I always love in, in 
in a weird way when Christians use the laws of the land to further the kingdom of God in ways that that the writers of those laws hadn't expected. You right. know, is that because you're not you haven't done you haven't passed any new laws, you haven't pushed for any new legislation. You've just used what's on the books in order right. to fight the evil that's around us. Right. Now, we do get criticized by the pro-life community, some people in the pro-life community, that all we're interested in is having abortion facilities operate um, in a a clean environment and and crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's. That's not it. Um, We use those tools to the end that we're seeking, and that is the closure of that abortion facility. It's or or increased fines or increased costs or whatever, because then they pass that along to their uh, their clients and abortion becomes more and more expensive. And that will keep some women from uh, getting an abortion. Um, And in in Florida, we had a tremendous uh, success story that took well over a year. We found that an abortionist was operating in uh, an abortion facility, he was not only the owner, but also the abortionist, unlicensed in Florida. And it took us forever. And you'd think in Florida, it would be a slam dunk. Uh, But it it took us a while to get to the right people. And once the governor found out about it, uh, then things happened very quickly. So one of the pieces of uh, an investigation by an agency is that the agency must notify the abortionist that they're under investigation. Well, this guy had one of the worst uh, rap sheets that you can imagine. He had been um, found guilty of a lot of offenses, Medicaid fraud and uh, a lot of things. And when he was notified that he was under investigation, he closed his doors. Huh. <laughs> well, and see, that works. You know, what, right. I, what, I, what I find interesting and, and monstrous here is that if you're an OBGYN who is actually responsible for bringing babies into this world alive, mm-hmm. is that every time you go into that delivery room, your credentials are probably examined 10 times over. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're an abortionist whose job is to end the lives of babies, then uh, nobody cares. Next week, I conclude my conversation with Kathy as we talk about the various laws that are being passed in states across the country and what our Christian worldview demands that we do about abortion. We would also appreciate your help in keeping the pastor's voice going. Please use the Support the Show link to donate any amount to help us cover our expenses, and please do subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. If you have any questions about The Pastor's Voice, would like to be a guest, or would like to become a sponsor, please email us at podcasts at thepastorsvoice.net. I am Rule Sample. Thank you for listening.